Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for intel, forecasts, and success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thanks for being with us. The excitement is brought to you by my company, BullRealty.com. For asset and occupancy solutions, visit BullRealty.com. Well, we have a treat for you today. We're going to cover Integra Realty's Viewpoint 2018. And we have Chairman of the Board of Integra Realty with us, Anthony Graziano, or sometimes known as Mr. Real Estate. <laughs> Good morning, Michael. How are you? Good. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Now, this report they put out every year, and it's incredible, about what we expect to see or they expect to see uh, moving forward in the market. What are going to be the economic uh, impact? What's going to happen in the political world? What's going to happen in the physical world? What's going to happen that's going to impact business and economy? and our decisions and the real estate owners and advisors and as occupiers of space moving forward. So, Anthony, how long have you guys been doing this report? Tell us a little bit about it. I'm very happy to say this is our 25th anniversary of this report, 25th uh-huh. years publishing Viewpoints. Yeah. So, what, what, what is the point of Viewpoint? What are you trying to do here? So, we take a look at the, uh, at the real estate markets in each of our respective markets. We have about 45 offices around the U.S. Uh, we also have offices in the Caribbean, uh, U.S. Virgin Islands. Can Kansas. I go there and visit that one? Sure, come down okay. and visit us. Uh, right, right. You want to come to Puerto Rico, we're, we're, open, we're back open for business back in Puerto open. Rico. Back open, good. Um, but uh, what we do is we look at the local markets, we see what's happening in the local markets, we track the real estate indices and observe what's happening in those markets. And then once a year, uh, we roll those up into a national trend report uh, that represents viewpoints. We take a look at uh, the macroeconomic factors impacting real estate, we layer in uh, you know, the debt and equity uh, changes that are occurring in the market, and then we correlate those to each of the markets as to where they are, where we think they are in the cycle, and provide some forecast. Uh, what ultimately ends up coming out of the publication, really, I think is a very good macro look at uh, you know, big cities versus suburbs. Um, Integra is in most of the major markets throughout the U.S., uh, urban markets, but we also cover a lot of the suburban and secondary tertiary real estate markets with boots on the ground. So we have a good view of where capital is moving and what type of plays are happening in the marketplace. Yes, and you know, at the Commercial Real Estate Show, we try to bring you the best of the best around the country and the forecast because you think about it, we're all looking to the future. You know, the, the past <laughs> is not always in- indicative of what the future is going to hold. and. Um, uh, Integra is an appraisal firm. They do appraisals. Um, they do uh, litigation support Correct. and consulting. Uh, so I've always been impressed uh, with you guys and, and, and this report. Well, so let's start with this, Anthony. It seems like the elephant in the room is, is the Tax Act, the Jobs Act. Sure. You know, uh, if companies have more money to spend, uh, that could impact the commercial real estate market, right? O- the office market, if, if consumers have more in their paycheck. It can impact industrial market, retail market. So what do you guys foresee there? Are we far enough along uh, to know, uh, for you guys to get an idea of what, what it means for economy and real estate moving forward? Sure. Well, look, I mean, it's, you know, it's brand new. I think the accountants are still digesting it. Yeah. But let me give you some high-level observations from what we're hearing from the marketplace. Um, last year this time, we talked about you know, Trump was recently elected. Uh, there was some initial concern, well, what's going to happen and, and, and how is that going to impact Uh, the marketplace. And of course, this tax act has uh, a number of features that I think are going to have repercussions in the economy. Let's talk about residential to start, right? Fundamentally changed basically the subsidization of high-end residential Mm -hmm. uh, by limiting the amount you can deduct in mortgage interest and limiting the amount that you can deduct on your real estate tax uh, side. So 
Um, initially, the, the National Association of Realtors said potentially 10 to 15% decline in property values across the board if mortgage interest deduction goes away. I think a lot of those forecasts were based on a complete elimination of mortgage interest deduction. Um, if you look at the thresholds, right, you have a $750,000 mortgage cap, which interest deductibility affects about, that, that only represents about 8% of the single family homes in the U.S. Um, at some point, you reach a threshold in the two and a half, five million, ten million dollar homes where the buyers of those homes are not as sensitive to the tax implications. Right. So I don't think it's going to be as dramatic. However, um, clearly, if you're in uh, the million to million and a half dollar residential home price range, uh, there's going to be some friction there mm -hmm. this coming year. Um, I think the other associated impact, there's two associated impacts we're going to see unfold over the next two or three years. One, there's going to be a lot of pressure in high value communities to manage your local tax base, right? Because the, the deductibility cap is going to be $10,000. Mm -hmm. And if you're paying more than $10,000 in property taxes, you're going to get very sensitive to what's happening in your local market. And that's so a good thing, man. If you're a mayor or you're a councilman, <laughs> expect to see more people sitting in the audience when yeah. you start to talk about budgets and spending. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think the bigger impact, which I think could be a really good thing uh, for us in the U.S., is that the limits on the interest deductibility burn off so you cannot keep refinancing taking money out of your house as the home value as your home value increases mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to continue to refinance past the initial term of your mortgage and the consequence of that if i believe is that more people will strive to pay off their mortgage which i think is a healthy thing in the market i think yeah. if if there the instability in the housing market certainly during the last very deep cycle but generally in, instability in the housing market is when people keep refinancing their homes up yeah. And they can't afford it. They lose their job. They get stressed out. So, yeah, it's an uh, you know, my grandfather always told me, you're not a free man until you pay off your house. Yeah. And so I, I think the consequence of this tax act could be that people accelerate that. Yeah. On the commercial side, um, I think this is going to be a good short-term uh, impact. I think we are going to see a lot of companies reinvesting. Um, there's, there's some counterbalancing issues here. One is that a lot of big companies have been conserving cash already. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of places to get good leverage and good yield in the marketplace with cash. So they're rewarding their employees, which could you know, short term affect uh, employee uh, earnings, mm -hmm. which could be good for the spending side of the economy. Yeah. But the reinvestment side of the economy, I think, is going to be affected. Um, and certainly as, these, as the tax law rolls out and gets implemented this year, and really everybody calculates at the end of 18 how it's going to play out, um, tax law changes are always transformative and not always good. Mm -hmm. um, 1986 tax, uh, tax Act didn't work out so well. No. So I would, I would say with cautious optimism uh, that we think most of the provisions of this tax act will look good for 2018. Um, and then we'll see, obviously, how that translates in 2019. But I, I think we forecast a short pop as a result of the benefits of the tax act. And a short pop for retail sales and consumer confidence? Is that I, I think, it, the I think there's a consumer confidence element to yeah. it. I don't know that it's going to translate necessarily into more retail sales because mm -hmm. I think if you look at what's happening in the economy, the, the economic recovery has not been completely even. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think more importantly, this is going to cause companies to reinvest in their companies, in their employees, do some expansions, buy business equipment, you know, those types of things where they can accelerate depreciation, mm -hmm. which will then put more money into the producers of the economy uh, in the short term. So I think and, that'll be good. And does that increase demand for our office owners out there and, uh, and boost their, their property? I mean, certainly a rise in, in employment. And if yeah. you look at the distribution of where the employment lies, you know, the professional services is a very big component of, of what we saw in job growth mm -hmm. in 17. Uh, I think that'll help it continue 
into 18. So that will be, uh, you know, con continued positive on the professional services side, which translates into office demand, yeah. for sure. So part of the name of it is the Jobs Act, right? That's right. So uh, so you ex what do you expect for, for jobs? You, you, see, you expect a big increase there? You know, it, it's, I, I think there's a, a matter of, of demand that has mm -hmm. to be considered, right? We've been, on a, we've been on a pretty strong growth arc with jobs, and we saw a little bit of a pullback, certainly, over the last few quarters. Mm -hmm. um, some of this is going to depend, I think, on what happens in the stock market and what happens generally with companies and products. Um, but I think this will help maintain the momentum so we don't see a complete pullback in job growth. Okay. Well, let's talk about the, the second elephant in the room, uh, and that's uh, increases in the Fed rate and uh, corresponding interest rate increases because obviously the cost of money uh, of financing these properties is going to can impact values. What do you guys expect moving forward for interest rates for mortgages for commercial properties? Sure. So last year, you know, everybody was very concerned that this was going that the interest rate rise was going to have a translate into higher cap rates. And when are the cap rates going to move? When are the cap rates going to go up? And you know, we, you know, we had forecast in most cases mild increases in the cap rates last year. And that's about what happened. Cap rates actually just stopped going down in most property sectors. Yeah. Um, they didn't really pop up. There wasn't any dramatic increase as these rates gradually rose. Um, the, the interest rate environment is not, doesn't correlate in a 30 or 60 day time frame. It takes, it takes a much longer time frame. But what we did see last year was a pullback in transaction volume. Mm -hmm. So the, dif the difficulty was getting transactions, new transactions financed in one case. And also people suggesting, you know, if interest rates are going to rise, how does that affect the economy? And what we saw the investors doing was saying, you know what, that 475 or 5 cap doesn't look so good to me anymore. Yeah. I know interest rates are going up. I know I'm not going to get as penalized for holding cash. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to not do this deal. And so mm -hmm. we saw a big pullback in the institutional transactions, about a 38% decline in overall commercial transactions from institutions last year, about an 18% decline in private transactions last year. And I think a lot of that related to people's concerns about long-term interest rates. You couldn't use short-term money, you know, interest-only money, because you expect now that interest rates are going to rise. Yeah. And I think that was really the intent. I think the intent of the Fed was to cool asset prices in one regard, um, and also to slow the economy enough that they could put the interest rates back to a level that they had a tool in the event of the next recession because we couldn't continue that, that low yeah. uh, interest rate environment. Yeah, so, I mean, that's good news for the economy. If that's right. Moving interest rates back to normal rates, right? That's right. It's happening. It's normalizing. Yeah. Um, and I think this, you know, we saw in 2017 mm -hmm. that the cap rate stopped compressing in most asset classes. Um, and I think we will see in 2018 that they're going to start to climb a little, little, bit, little uh, bit, which is going to have a negative correlation on values. Yeah. But, you know, some of that will be offset by rent growth. Some of that will be offset by fundamental demand. And that's the way asset pricing is supposed to work, right? right. The, the increases in values shouldn't all be manufactured by, you know, artificially low interest rates. Right. That's what the Fed was trying to compensate for. And I think they've done so gradually. Um, how much more they can do that without tipping the economy and consumer confidence and other things, that's for the new Fed chairman to decide. <laughs> that, that's what 2018 will be about. So overall, then, you expect a slight increase in cap rates, but you expect more NOI growth to kind of offset that? Right. And that's why we're, we, you know, our, our forecast for 2018 is slow and steady. We're going to have, we're not predicting, uh, you know, any major shifts in 2018, any fundamental shifts in employment or the macro issues that affect the use of real estate. Um, but we, do, we also recognize that rent growth and capitalization rates are going to offset one another. Uh, so that there, you know, that's going to 
maintain, maintain values, but it don't expect, don't buy an asset purely on appreciation. You have yeah. to look at the fundamentals. Yeah. And that tends to keep us busy because people want to know really what are the fundamentals. The, you know, yeah. the other element, certainly in the multifamily sector, um, but it's, it, this year we're going to see it in the industrial sector too, is how much supply is coming online. Yeah. And let's make sure, if you look at our seniors housing component of our report, this last year was a big supply increase in seniors housing. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have to look at that relationship between new supply and how that's going to affect occupancy rates and rental rates in the yeah. marketplace. Yeah, and what I like to do is look at some of these individual sectors uh, like industrial, like multifamily, like senior housing, and get your view on those sectors moving forward right after this quick break. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you a commercial real estate broker? Check out Afto, the leading web-based CRE software for managing contacts, properties, listings, and deals. Act on the information in your CRM to strengthen your relationships and grow your business. Visit afto.com slash CRE show. With ArborCrowd, you get to invest alongside real estate experts, sponsors who have a successful track record and skin in the game. It's as easy as one, two, three. Learn about the deals, make your investment, and grow your financial wealth. Visit ArborCrowd.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by CommercialAgentSuccess.com. If you're a broker or an agent, you'll want to check it out. Well, today we're talking about Integra Realty Resources Viewpoint 2018. We have Anthony Graziano. He's the chairman of Integra Realty Resources here in Studio One. And Anthony, there's a lot happening with interest rates, with the Tax Act, um, and where is how is that going to impact retail? I think everybody's concerned about retail. You read in the paper that retail's doing terribly, uh, but 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 I look around in our market, people want to buy retail properties. Uh, the properties seem to be doing well, especially in the gray areas. So, what is your what's your outlook for retail? You know, it's in, I think the retail market is very interesting. It is certainly not uniform, but but there are some big trends that I think we should identify and talk about. The first I think is very interesting. We cover it in here maybe not explicitly, but you can certainly see it in the numbers, is this. It used to be that community-scale retail with a shopping center and the inlines would trade at a 50 to 100 basis point discount against, uh, you know, lower than the neighborhood community retail, right? So you take a neighborhood store with the convenience services. What we're seeing now is a convergence, right? Those grocery-anchored shopping centers are not getting the same premium, price premium that they were uh, because the tenant mix is not as strong and the future of grocery is changing. Um, so what we're seeing is that the neighborhood centers are actually holding up really well. That's number one. Unanchored. Unanchored right. neighborhood centers holding up well. It's, it's difficult, more difficult to fill those 30,000, 40,000 foot boxes. Right. Um, big store closings, what we're seeing, the other trend that we're seeing obviously is that the value retailers are really the darlings, right? The TJX, uh, all of the, the Kohl's, the TJ Maxx, uh, Marshalls, those type of value retailers now have really become the credit anchors. Uh, and that's really where our, the business is, is changing a bit uh, in terms of retail tenant mix, is to find the right mix that brings the repeat customer to the shopping center. Yeah. Um, that always used to be a department store or other type of junior anchor, but the, the value retailers are really dominating. If you look at the growth in retail, what you're seeing is a, the dollar stores, the five belows, all of those type of value retailers are driving 
all of the new growth in retail, other than the luxury segment. We'll talk about that a little bit. Obviously, the regional malls have been undergoing, certainly over the last 10 years, big transformations. We've seen a big bifurcation of what we call the C and D malls, those malls that were anchored by the Sears and the JC Pennies and so forth. Um, but the big department stores are really the story there, right? The loss of credit, the loss of the change in the business model of the big department stores is really what's forced those C and D malls into repositioning mode. Mm-hmm. Um, long run though, I like retail. I'm going to tell you that I think there's three or four things about retail assets that are very strong indicators of why investors should be looking to retail, particularly even this year and next year, mm-hmm. uh, even if there are some negative cross currents in the economy. Number one, retail tends to be single story. So in suburban markets, you have very well parked, uh, reasonably priced assets that are easy to retenant because you've got good parking and you've got great location, visibility, signage. In urban markets, the retail land values tend to be very strong. So the underlying land sometimes is available for reuse. So you're buying retail really as a holding strategy, an interim holding strategy. Um, third, I think the, the bigger trend here, everybody really over talks about e-commerce. I think mm-hmm. certainly the growth in e-commerce is remarkable. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things happening in e-commerce that are fundamentally changing the way in which we buy. Yeah. Um, it's changing the economics of retail. But the, the, aside from the e-commerce growth, there's always going to be the need. People want to get out of the house. They want to right. go to the market. They want to interact. And what we see is that the really successful retail investors are doing two things. They're investing in tenants that have some type of an entertainment concept. Mm-hmm. I went to Whole Foods the other night in Miami. They just built a new Whole Foods down, down the street from me. They have a bar okay. and a restaurant in the Whole Foods. Wow. So you, you are going to the grocery store and you say to your wife, you know, let's go have dinner first. Yeah. And then let's go grocery shopping. Well, That's I'll tell my wife now, I'll go shopping. I'll go right. shop now if there's well, a she, bar. She told me, she <laughs> says, you're going to go have a beer and I'll go shopping. There you um, go. But you know, the, the, the investors that are looking at tenants that are investing in entertainment are being, are being successful. The other thing is you have to manage the real estate right. You have to understand what your tenants, how your tenants are making money, what their margins are, and stop pressing the tenants up against the highest market rent in the market. Let your tenants succeed. Yeah. Keep your occupancy stable. I think what we're going to see is a, a return to more fundamental management practices mm-hmm. to keep your retail strong. And I think when you do that, stay a little under market on your market rents, you manage to make sure that your retail tenants are making money, uh, you're going to have a successful retail operation. Yeah. So you have to buy with the understanding that you're not going to just continue to raise up rents, but you're going to have a stable long-term operating asset. Yeah. And I think that's really where the investors are going today with retail. They're, yeah. they're driving entertainment, they're driving traffic, and they're managing the retail so that the, the tenants are making money. Yeah, well, I like that. And I like your point that retail is typically good real estate. You know, it's, it's, it's good locations, it's, right. it's flat. I, I like all the things you say there. And I think that's why I, we see a lot of interest from, from buyers in retail, no matter what the kind of occupancy you have at the property right now. Yeah. What do you, how do you feel, Anthony, about the Amazon, you know, buying Whole Foods and, and some of these online uh, purchases, you know, wanting this last mile delivery, you think that's going to continue to help bricks and mortar uh, side of retail? Well, I, I think it's a recognition of, of the reality that I just spoke of, right? Mm-hmm. People want to get out of the house, they want some place to go. And I think that the, the concept that everything's going to be online is an impossible, you'll never get to that last mile. So I think 
the e-commerce operators actually heading into the bricks and mortar is really their strategy to get into that chain of, of demand, right? So they realize that they are going to run out of room to be able to take the low-hanging fruit. There's certain goods, you know, furniture, big durables, things like that, that they just can't touch. Um, groceries are a really difficult thing logistically mm -hmm. to deliver on demand. I think we're going to get better at it, mm -hmm. but uh, it's going to require big logistical changes. So I think the the migration of those com those companies will continue, and they will become big real estate players. The question really is, can can they manage the the balance of the retail portfolio? Right, yeah. you have to manage your inlines, you have to manage your tenant mix. It's it's becoming the tenant is one element, um, and so if they develop this, a, a, a product that, that delivers everything I'm saying, entertainment and otherwise, mm -hmm. I think they're going to be as successful in the market as the tenants today. Well, let me ask you about tenant mix because you guys are doing appraisals all over the country. Yep. How do you look at the number of restaurants that are in a lot of these retail properties? I mean, there's a lot of uh, restaurants are open. It seems like a lot of our clients uh, in the retail properties, that they want restaurants. But if you're doing a, appraisals and are you looking at, all right, well, there's two restaurants in this center. Are you looking at how many restaurants are in the area and, and what, what could happen there? Sure. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's interesting you talk about that. We, we see that a lot in the urban markets mm -hmm. because the rents are high and the only way to afford those rents uh, is to run a successful restaurant. And serve liquor. That's right. And the problem is, though, is that restaurants, as the credit quality of restaurants, you know, tends to vary. Yeah. So there's a difference, obviously, between restaurants and casual dining, you know, national chain casual dining, mm -hmm. um, but that is becoming an increasing percentage overall, I think, of the of the retail mix because mm -hmm. there are fewer traditional retailers of apparel and, and other goods. So uh, part of it is a fill the center strategy, right? How do I fill the center? I put restaurants in there, but it does affect the durability of the center, but it, it also gives them the opportunity to keep rents high. But this gets back, I think, to what I'm talking about in terms of being under, understanding the value chain. Mm -hmm. uh, if you fill your center with restaurants, uh, I think you're exposed. There's enough competition then. It attracts people to come to your center on a regular basis. That's the positive. But it also chews up parking. And it also doesn't provide an array of services. So it becomes how much dining can people do? And when there's a pullback in the economy, mm -hmm. one of the first things people stop doing is going out to dinner three times a week. So when the economy is doing well, a, rest, a, a fully tenanted, center with restaurants will tend to do pretty well and you'll be able to get maximal market rent but you're going to suffer the downside of vacancy as the economy wavers or as your local economy changes tastes so yeah. it's pluses and minuses right well anything new and your viewpoint 2018 for industrial it seems like if online sales keep keep growing industrials is going to continue to be the darling sector sure uh, i think if you look at the transaction volumes you know office <clears throat> multifamily uh, and the other, the other asset classes besides industrial, what you'll see is our forecast is that of all the asset classes, industrial is going to do the strongest, mm -hmm. be the strongest in 2018. Um, that is obviously a cautionary tale because what that means is everybody's going to pile into industrial investment, mm -hmm. uh, which could drive capitalization rates down. Of all the asset classes in 2018, that's the one that has the greatest potential for uh, cap continued cap rate compression. Um, we're building a lot of industrial, and it tends to be quicker to build, quicker to market, uh, which means we tend to overbuild that in certain markets. And so you have to be cautious. Uh, most of the markets that we cover here are in what we call the you know, late expansion phase in industrial. Denver has tipped into what we call hypersupply, where we've got uh, more construction, net absorption, decreases in rents. 
But fundamentally, the changes in logistics are, what dri are what's driving the industrial market right now. Mm -hmm. We're seeing a lot more industrial construction that's large, yeah. uh, high distribution, you know, high ceilings, very well located next to highways, uh, and it's the users of that of that type of industrial cannot go into the existing product. So even though you may have a five or six percent, eight percent structural industrial vacancy in your marketplace, uh, when IKEA comes to town, it needs a half a million square feet in yeah. one single location. That vacancy rate really doesn't matter. They're going to build a new facility, right. uh, and so that that's what we're seeing. What we're seeing is the big retailers now are repositioning their uh, chain, mm -hmm. you know, their logistics chain. And so a lot of this construction is really the shifts in logistics that are occurring. And we're also seeing, you know, obviously the port cities are, mm -hmm. are seeing a lot of uh, construction currently. Yeah. Um, but we expect that that will slow going into 19, but we're going to have a pretty strong 18 in the industrial sector. Yeah, well, I think all the industrial owners are, are doing the Snoopy dance and uh, <laughs> uh, they're enjoying this. And, and interesting, you talk about that, that huge demand for investors for industrial. We're about to bring a $30 million project on the market. And, and I think it'll be a, a cap rate of probably around six. Um, and I, I'm interested to see the demand because the tenant has the rights to early cancellation. Right. So, you know, this $30 million property could be vacant, but I think because of the demand and because it's a strong tenant, and, and I don't think people are going to think they're going to cancel, but there's that right to cancel. I think it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens there. Well, I want to ask you about the office market and what do you expect to happen in the office market moving forward. So stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We will be right back. Video is powerful. Some of the biggest brands in commercial real estate have trusted us to tell their story. We are Barnes Creative Studios, premier commercial real estate video services. BarnesCreativeStudios.com. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. This segment is brought to you by Arbor Crowd. If you're a sponsor or investor interested in crowdfunding, check out arborcrowd.com. Well, today we're covering Integra Realty's Viewpoint 2018. We have Anthony Graziano here. He's chairman with Integra Realty Resources. And Integra does appraisals, consulting, and litigation support. And Anthony, one of the things that I want to get into uh, in this segment is the office market. It seems like if uh, if the tax act is going to create more jobs that hopefully office owners are saying hey bring on the tenants let's expand what do you guys expect moving forward sure i think the uh, certainly the expansion of tenants has been that that's been the growth arc uh, in in us office real estate primarily a migration into the urban core mm -hmm. so what we've seen uh, over the last few years is that the cbd office really held up very well it also tends to be a larger block of, of acquisition money. So the institutional money that was looking for investment is very, they, they, they regard offices highly because in a single transaction, you can do a two, three, four hundred million dollar deal and only do one deal. Right. If you're buying shopping centers, you're buying them 25 to 50 million at a time. You need to cobble together a portfolio unless you're buying a mall. So what we've seen is that the institutional 
interest in office buildings and certainly the value chain in office buildings and the CBD, there's been a lot of activity. This is the first year, 2017, uh, where we saw a pullback in the office transaction volume. We're down about $95 billion uh, over from last year in transaction volume. Um, some of that pullback really is the fact that the institutional market is seeing the CBDs as fully priced. The rent levels and the, uh, and the TI levels have reached equilibrium. And I think the growth there in rents is expected to slow in the CBD. Um, some new construction is emerging, but it's difficult to get a pure play office building out of the ground in most of the CBDs today. Mm -hmm. So there's not too much supply side concern. Um, from a user perspective, though, I think the opportunity really is in the suburbs. What we are starting to see uh, is that people are investing in suburban, uh, suburban office buildings again. That's coming back. Um, in the secondary and tertiary markets where there really isn't a defined CBD, the rents are firming up in those suburban markets, which is good. Um, so what I'm hopeful is that the employment gains that we see in the U.S. don't continue to just drive into the CBD, that we're going to see more broad-based gains in the services and the office users in the suburban markets. Uh, my, some, of the, some of the consultants or some of the clients that I consult with, uh, you know, I've been telling them for the last two years, the underpriced assets are the B assets in suburban markets that can be upgraded um, and value, value added. Um, and we see that you know, in South Florida, as you, had, as you head west, away from Fort Lauderdale, away from Miami, and into some of the more suburban markets, really good opportunities at far below replacement cost. That's occurring around the U.S., and I think that what, we've, what we're seeing is that investors are heading inland a bit, out of the major CBD markets, um, into some of the secondary and tertiary markets, and certainly back to the suburbs which I think is an interesting trend. Yeah, so where are the investors? Where, where are the markets that uh, investors were really interested in in the last year or so? What do you expect moving forward? They well, like I said, I, I think in the coastal CBDs, I think the pricing has gotten, pricing had gotten to the point where uh, there were concerns that we were at or beyond replacement cost, and I think there's been a pullback on that. I think the real, you know, I, I, I always look and tell everybody, if you're looking at what everybody's doing today, that's not where the opportunity is. The opportunity is already gone, right? So look where everybody is not. And uh, I think if you look at where everybody is not today and you say, what's happening? We're moving back uh, into the suburbs. There's going to be job growth in the suburbs. Uh, I think the, the opportunity is, is to head back there. So uh, I think where the investors are looking at is what's the growth? The difficulty in office assets is also its greatest strength, which is your contracting, your lease rates, you know, three, five, seven, ten years out. Mm -hmm. So you tend to have fairly stable cash flow um, and, and predictable cash flow. Um, but the downside of that, of course, is that um, you're also betting a lot on the reversion because mm -hmm. you know what your cash flow is. And if you're buying at a low yield, low cap rate, you're really pushing a lot of your appreciation into the reversion. Right. Um, so you need to have a lot of confidence that you're in a market where there's going to be good fundamental growth. I think in the CBD markets too, the other thing that's going, that's, that's happening now and certainly in the next 24 months we're going to see it, there was a lot of multifamily activity in a lot of these urban markets. Yes. As that, and, and that put land pressure, so it was harder to get land sites available for office development at a cost that was feasible yeah. because the, the cost of land for multifamily was, was much higher. I think as that construction demand for multifamily wanes a bit over the next 24 months, some of that land pricing is going to readjust, and I think people are going to start to look at office components either, either as a part of mixed use or as a pure play office development uh, for new development. Um, but we've just now reached the point in most of the markets where 
the rent is at equilibrium to construction costs, right? So for the last eight years, we've looked at rents and said it's just not feasible to build a new right. office building. Right. Uh, but we're, that's changing now. I think we're getting to the point where new office building construction will be feasible, um, and it'll also be a component of new mixed use. So we're going to see some new office supply um, coming online in the CBD in the next year or two. Okay. And what do you guys expect moving forward for office revenues and, and expenses in your forecast? You know, expense is the big variable, and I and I think for most uh, in most markets, uh, we we structure our leases, you know, as either a base year where your your rent is fully loaded, and then you pay as the expenses increase over your base. Um, very few pure large scale office buildings that are all triple net leases because the tenants want to control their occupancy cost. Mm -hmm. But the big trends there are, um, you know, real estate taxes, which as values have increased, we're seeing in a lot of markets, those real estate taxes are a big jump. Um, and that, you know, that really hurts the occupancy, overall occupancy cost. So as values have increased, you have to keep an eye on real estate taxes. Mm -hmm. um, we do a lot of tax appeal work and representation of owners and investors um, to understand where values are and, and manage that real estate tax expectation. Um, and it's a very good discipline to be looking at your taxes every year and making sure you're in there and staying current with where your building should be taxed at. Um, insurance is another you know, substantial component uh, of, the, of the operating costs. And mm -hmm. so managing those operating costs effectively and keeping those operating costs in check are what's going to allow your NOI to grow. So uh, good management of your utilities, in, you know, installation of good utility management infrastructure is important. Um, and payroll and repairs and maintenance is, is, again, something you have to schedule and plan for. You know, the office building owners that aren't regularly investing in their lobby and their common areas and keeping their building upgraded um, suffer in the long run because eventually they have to make a big investment five, six, eight years down the road. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, Anthony, you guys are doing appraisals all over the country, and uh, we're seeing a lot of push from uh, um, office users for flexible space and shared spaces, um, smaller spaces and shorter leases. And, um, you know, that seems to worry some of the lenders. I've sold some office properties like that. And I go to the lenders like, well, show me your 10 and 15 and 12 year leases. I'm like, well, there's a lot of these tenants who are in here, they're, they're annual or they're month to month, but the building's 100% full and they're still apprehensive. So how, how do you guys look at that moving forward for, for, for the lenders and for appraisal values? Sure. So in the, in the temporary workspace or in the small, what we'll call executive office style workspace, mm -hmm. what we'll generally do is to try and benchmark a consistent rent that somebody can rent the entire floor and then manage those smaller short-term tenants. Mm -hmm. what, what would the occupancy cost? What would the, the rent be on a net basis for you to take that floor and then run that business service center? Mm -hmm. uh, the WeWork, the WeWork model is a good example. You know, mm -hmm. they'll master lease a floor and then they're responsible for all of the management of the tenants. If you, I think if you're trying to appraise an office building today and assume that as the office building owner, you are going to manage all of these short-term tenancies and the rollover <laughs> and the business services and the copy machine and the telephone, you're really getting into more uh, a, a business at yeah. that point. And, at, yeah. and you do have to look at that then and say, am I taking a real estate risk based on a passive investment yield, but I'm actively managing my real estate, I think that that's where the mismatch becomes. And I agree, the lenders, you know, they want to see long-term durability. Yeah. So uh, I think that gets discounted. I think when you have an office building that doesn't have a good, good seasoned leases, a tenure and turnover uh, is high, um, or even if turnover is low, but the tenants haven't made a long-term commitment, uh, I think that gets discounted in the marketplace for sure. 
Okay, and what do you guys foresee for square footage per employee trends moving forward? Yeah, so we, we've been going through this cycle where that's been shrinking. Every mm -hmm. year, you know, everybody figures out how to more open floor plans. Let's put everybody in the bullpen. But we've been hearing from tenants and from building owners that that's starting to reverse. Mm -hmm. You know, the law firms that went open floor plan realized that maybe that's not going to work for <laughs> retention. Yeah. Um, Maybe that's not going to work really practically speaking. People need some privacy to conduct certain types of businesses. Um, so I, I think this trend of making the space smaller has kind of run its course. I think we're going to, I don't think we're ever going to go back to the days where everybody had a 300 square foot office. But um, I think that, that the open floor plan concept has sort of run its course by industry and certain industries have figured it out and figured that they can work with it. But as a general rule, we're probably at the we're at the, the that level of 185 to 225 square feet is about where you're going to be per employee on an office on office space. The other thing is that most of the buildings, the parking was scaled for a 250 square foot per employee ratio. Mm -hmm. So the other problem is you could design the space to put three times as many employees in there. You sometimes can't get the parking allocation for right. that space. Right. So although that you know in urban areas with good mass transit, it's not as important. Um, in most markets, the parking availability is critical. Right. So. All right. Well, good. Well, I want to ask you about some of the specialty sectors because I think there's a lot of excitement out there about the hospitality market, about senior housing, and some of the others. So we'll get to that right after this short break. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Would you like access to invest in institutional quality commercial real estate with experienced sponsors with small amounts of money? Of course you would. Visit realcrowd.com. Choose between core, core plus, value add, or opportunistic. Visit realcrowd.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I am Michael Ball. This segment is brought to you by GetValuate.com, online investment analysis. Well, today we're talking about Integra's Viewpoint 2018. Anthony Graziano is here. He's chairman with Integra Realty Resources. And uh, so I think a lot of people are curious about some of these specialty sectors. And let's start with senior housing because you know, we know the baby boomers are getting older, but they're not really quite to the age that they're really starting to fill up senior housing. So what is your expectations and your viewpoint for senior housing? Sure. Well, first, you know, we're very excited this year. We're going to add a big senior housing group, probably another month or so, be an announcement uh, to expand our senior housing specialty. We've always had good core competency. We have a group in Tampa that acts nationally and we're adding some more people uh, this year that should be a real big improvement in our ability and capacity to do the work. A um, lot of movement in that sector. Um, your observation is, is what the general consensus is, right? Mm -hmm. People are getting older. The baby boomers are going to get in, getting older. They're going to need this continuum of care, assisted living, and, and ultimately uh, independent living, assisted living, and potentially nursing homes. What's interesting is that people are living longer, they're also working longer. Mm -hmm. And so people were building these things in the 90s thinking, oh, this wave is coming. Yeah. And it never really materialized. Yeah. It took a lot longer than people expected. Yeah. Uh, but we did see a lot of construction in 2017. In fact, with construction exceeded net absorption in the assisted living uh, sector. And so we saw occupancies decline uh, a little bit overall in the sector. However, 
um, there is a long way to run with assisted living and we uh, we certainly are very bullish on the assisted living market um, the operations are improving the, the efficiency of operations are improving mm -hmm. a lot of the players are aggregating so there's big platform players in the market now um, that are looking at specific the specific growth patterns but um, what we're seeing really is is a good operational model with better yields than traditional standard uh, uh, you know property types mm -hmm. so um, good good fundamentals so we're very bullish on this on the senior housing market and uh, we have great professionals there that if anybody wants to talk to them yeah. I put them in touch there and the market overview speaks for itself I don't want to tell you everything about viewpoints or <laughs> nobody will read it right we right, want right. some people to download will, it there read, read the details but we but will the have the and we will have the link here so uh, senior housing, uh, you think is going to, you're bullish. So you think people are going to get older. You think people are going to age? I think people are definitely <laughs> going to age. I think that's, that's absolutely going to happen. Maybe but, next year I'll be a year older. <laughs> you know what's interesting? People resisted the assisted living segment. Uh, you know, you, you, your, your folks, your parents never really want to make that jump and say, I'm going to move from independent living. Some don't even want to leave their home. Right? Right. But at some point, for yeah. health reasons, they have to. Yeah. But the assisted living, uh, the long-term assisted living is now changing. What we're seeing is, really very little growth in the nursing home segment. Yeah. Nursing home segment has been static. Um, it's dominated by Medicare, Medicaid. Um, there's a lot fewer private pay nursing homes. But what we're seeing on the assisted living side is a big expansion in the types and specialization of services for Alzheimer's care and for special care that's needed. So um, that, that transition, um, I think assisted living is gonna get wider uh, in, its, in its service offerings. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not just about people getting older, it's about people getting older and needing support when they don't have the family support. Right. So as, as our society has become more mobile and the kids move away and live in Boston and San Francisco and you're still in Miami, um, you, know, you need the support and you don't have the family there. So part of it is, is demographic to age, mm -hmm. part of it is also our, uh, the social distance of your immediate family that can help care for you. All right. So what do you guys think about healthcare, real estate, medical office buildings and such moving forward? Yeah, I think that there, you know, there are uh, some very big opportunities on healthcare real estate side. What's interesting though is we're starting to see the private hospital systems play a bigger and bigger role in the operation of those. Um, we had over the last 10 years as a lot of the healthcare changes were occurring and as we were heading towards national, nationalized healthcare, there was a real big pullback in that sector because nobody really understood how that was gonna affect the medical office world. Yeah. We also saw the rise of the surgical centers, right? We spent the last decade building a lot of what we call ambulatory surgery centers outside of the hospital mm -hmm. because they could get reimbursed at the same rate as the hospital, but with a much lower cost. Mm -hmm. So we consulted with a lot of physicians and physician investment groups that were partnering with physicians to move those ambulatory, to, to develop those ambulatory surgery centers. Um, those have become very successful. That going to continue then? Um, I think that's gonna to continue to some yeah. extent, but a lot of those opportunities have been taken and I think the hospitals now are fighting to get that back. Uh, mm -hmm. And they're winning in some cases by expanding their campuses, expanding their modalities and specialty of services that are coming back into the hospital campus. So I think that, that, that sector is starting to swing the other way. Um, and the, you know, the success of the surgery centers also relates to the group that's participating in the, and the modality of the surgery center. So orthopedics and things like that doing very well on the surgery center mm -hmm. side, um, but there are some that are really just coming back to the hospital. And what about healthcare in uh, retail settings? You, it, what's your trend there? What do you expect? 
So, you know, we are seeing, uh, we talked about retail real estate earlier in the segment, you know, being very adaptable, high parking ratios and so forth. We are starting to see, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the physicians that are providing basically what we'll call general practice care, but now they have a, a separate model for that. They're heading into retail centers because it's mm -hmm. convenient. Um, but the medical office building is still very well entrenched in our, in our uh, society. And I think that from a long-term perspective, that's, uh, we're gonna continue to see growth in that sector. We haven't seen a lot of new MOB growth um, throughout the country. It's been, it's been kind of slow and that may be an opportunity. I think yeah. we look at that going yeah, forward. Yeah, it may be with all the baby boomers getting older. Uh, right. We're gonna need more healthcare. And, and, the, and the other thing is that the physicians, for economic reasons, are starting to aggregate, right? They used to have a, a lot of small physicians and now what you're seeing is physician groups being acquired and aggregating. So you're gonna get larger platform physicians. So medical office buildings are not gonna be leased a thousand square feet at a time. You'll have uh, entire groups taking entire floors. So I think it's gonna, the medical office building management and, and leasing procedures are gonna uh, be more streamlined mm -hmm. and are gonna tend to be national. There's a lot of national players now. You know, you have DaVita that does dialysis. You have major national providers. There's, there are anesthesiologists now that have national groups. So that business, the, the healthcare business and the, uh, and the providers are aggregating, mm -hmm. which I think provides an opportunity uh, because you have national needs that can be met and that need to be consulted on. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you about some other sectors. I want to ask you about hospitality and hotels, and I want to ask you about single tenant and at least because I think there's some things in the Tax Act that maybe could impact those those property types. We'll, we'll stay, let's take a short break. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Build out the best all-in-one marketing tool for your brokerage. Learn how you can create marketing materials instantly and streamline your property listings process. Visit buildout.com. Promote your business to the U.S. commercial real estate industry. Click advertise at the show website, CREshow.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. This segment is brought to you by RealCrowd.com. For crowdfunding for commercial real estate, you got to check them out. Well, today we're talking about Integra's Viewpoint 2018 with Anthony Graziano, chairman with Integra Realty Resources. And this is a report, we'll have a link below, that is a great look at what might happen in the commercial real estate world and economy moving forward. And Anthony, I want to ask you about hotels, the, the hospitality market, because we all like to stay in nice hotels. Are businesses going to have more money? Are we going to travel more? Are consumers going to have more money from the tax act? What does all this mean for hospitality moving forward? Sure. So, uh, you know, we saw in 2017, we saw a pullback on the transaction volume, uh, which basically, again, reflects the fact that I think the hotel occupancies have been, had been suffering rents, uh, the ADRs had been leveling out. Uh, we saw a modest ADR growth in, in 2017, but this, this overarching concern, what's going to happen with uh, you know, 103 month sustained uh, economy and how many more months can this run until we dip into recession. The fears of recession in 2017, I think caused a little bit of pullback. I think you're gonna see the, the, hotel, the hotel industry and the players moving a little more cautiously into next year. 
Um, there's been a lot of new construction as well. So we're starting to see in certain markets like Miami uh, is a good example. Convention Center was, has been shut down the last year and a half in Miami Beach. Uh, the big players and, and the big owners in Miami Beach were facing a wall of new construction that was being delivered in 16 and 17. Uh, but now they're, they're waiting back in. You know, they're starting to look and, and see where things are stabilizing. Um, we have a very, very good uh, hotel group uh, that specializes in hotels around the U.S., uh, Integra Hotels, uh, headed up by Jeff Greenwald out in California and uh, James Andrews down in the Caribbean, and Julie Schultz handles the Southeast for us. Um, what that group is tracking, uh, we have a Caribbean feature uh, on the hotel market as well. Um, we're seeing a fair amount of construction there, but again, you know, ADRs are slowing a bit. Um, so fundamentally, I think there's been this concern about the economy, at least on the investment side. I think the users of hotels are feeling it too, right? I mean, the travel, business travel will probably be up this year, a result of some of the tax implications that we talked about, and reinvestment in people's businesses. Mm -hmm. um, but the leisure travel has been very uneven. We've had a very uh, international travel has been up in the air, but now the international markets are recovering, the global markets are recovering. Uh, so I think that's favorable going into 2018. Uh, in the markets that attract that type of, of clientele, right, in our major New York City New and York, San Francisco. Miami, yeah. Yes, I think that's going to be a big positive in 2018. Um, but I think domestic travel, it's been getting expensive. I mean, if you look at average ADRs in the, in the urban markets, they're north of $300 a night. And at some point, uh, you're pricing people out of the market, and so they turn to other areas. And I think it's one of the reasons, if you look at, we, we, we cover in each one of these segments kind of the bears and the bulls. Where was the biggest pop? in transaction volume. And so the top three markets in, in this year's viewpoint are Charlotte, um, South Florida, and New York City. Uh, but then you go down the list, and we list 10 of them, you see markets like Richmond and Birmingham and Memphis and Houston and Cleveland. So these are sort of more fundamental markets that are, that are really servicing and forecasting domestic demand. Uh, some business, some leisure, but they're not primarily leisure markets. I think what you're going to see is this year, some of the leisure markets are going to slow. There's been a lot of full-service development in the Caribbean, um, and that's going to force everybody to take a breath in 2018. Um, and you're going to see some bigger plays. Mm -hmm. What do you think about values moving forward for hotels? I think the value, you know, a lot of the value creation in the hotels now is really about the concept, um, and it's about the management, and it's about the service, the personalized service that you provide. I think people are expecting more when they go to the hotels. They want an experience. It's kind mm -hmm. of a, it's, hotels and very, and it, hotels have always been an operational platform, oh, yeah. right? You've had to operate them right. Um, and there's been external threats to that operational model. But one of the big things was always, how do you attract the customer? How do you capture that booking? Um, and that has started to become now, as we've aggregated brands, and the brands have, the, the brands now have figured out, okay, we understand how to capture our audience. Now the question is, how do we retain them and have them return? Yeah. And so uh, we've gone from this sort of everybody went online and figured out that they could book a hotel room anywhere in the world. Now everybody's got that sort of figured out. Right. Now we're saying, okay, now you get there, what's your experience, what's your return rate, how do you get people to stay longer and want to come back? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's about creating the experience. And I think that's where the value creation is. I think the other thing is certainly in the boutique hotels, um, in many of, of the markets, um, the experience is about the dining too. So there's a component of having the right restaurant, having the right entertainment and, and having the right introduction into the city so that when people come and stay at the hotel, 
they're immersed in, the, they're plugged in. People right. want to be able to show up and get plugged in and they're expecting the hotel to do that for them. Right. What is the expectation for the shared economy impact on hospitality, the Airbnb type of thing? So, you know, it's interesting. Uh, big splash. I mean, Airbnb uh, is you know very well uh, rewarded in the public markets today. Uh, they grow. They've grown very, very fast. But they're also facing a number of challenges um, that are holding back their what the, what I'll call their core business, which originally was you know villas and private rentals. Um, we have there's there's a lot of momentum politically to talk about land use. We're working on some things right now on the land use side to say, when does a house become a hotel, yeah. right? I can rent my house for a year. Normally, if I own fee simple title, I can rent my house for a year. Um, can I rent my house for six months? Probably. Can I rent it for a month? Maybe. But when I start renting it out per night, when do I go from a single family residence to a hotel? Yeah. When do I need to pay hotel taxes? Right. Um, and you get into some of the urban markets like Miami where we have condominium buildings and people are starting to rent their condominium buildings by the week, by the weekend, getting huge premiums to the point where the value as a rental uh, starts to go up because Airbnb is sending you bookings mm -hmm. and you furnish the apartment and you're getting 5x on the monthly rent in a weekend. Yeah. Uh, but is that a residential use at that point? So they're they're starting to face pressure at the local community level as to whether they're conforming to land use. Um, but the bigger picture with, with Airbnb is they've become a real force in the lodging market generally for bookings and, and the hotel companies are trying to match that prowess or buy some of it, buy other emerging companies that are competing. Mm -hmm. So um, that battle isn't over, probably lasts another couple of years until you know a dominant winner is there. but. Uh, I think Airbnb is is going to continue to do very well in the leisure markets, in the the leisure markets that are homes and villas and things of that nature. That's that's going to be their niche. Um, I don't know how well they're going to compete when all the hotel operators put their money behind the technology yeah. and start to capture eyeballs. But you know they've got competitors too, so okay. uh, it'll work out. While I have you here, Anthony, I want to ask you about your thoughts on the impact of rising interest rates on the single tenant net lease investment market. You know, if you look at some of the single tenant net lease properties, uh, you know, drug stores and, and the like, they, they have flat leases that are the same rental rate for a long term. So the logical thinking is that if the cost of money goes up, that it would impact those property types. So what do you guys expect moving forward for valuations or cap rates on some of these single tenant net lease properties? Sure, I think some of them are gonna move up. I think certainly as the credit, uh, as the credit is reevaluated on some of these, these companies, that mm -hmm. could also force a rate jump. But I'll tell you, a lot of what we see in the net lease market is really 1031 exchange uh, plays, right? Uh, an owner selling uh, their former office building that they was management intense and they had to do repairs and so forth. They're taking that equity and they're rolling it over in a, in a 1031 exchange. Yeah. So those tend to be low leverage transactions. And there wasn't much leverage, even at our low interest rates, yeah. in a lot of these transactions, there wasn't much leverage already, right. positive leverage. Um, the real key is to be sure you're in a position where you don't have too much debt yeah. going in that's going to be rolling in two, three, four, five years on your level lease. That's that's going to be the risk on the net lease side, yeah. I see. As interest but, uh, rates rise. As interest further, rates rise yeah. and you have to refinance. And you've got a flat lease. And you've got a flat lease. Yeah. Uh, so we're looking at that. But I, I would think cap rates are going to come up 
a little bit, just mm -hmm. like every market, probably maybe even a little bit more than some of the markets that have, or some of the asset classes that have rent growth. Um, but on level leases, you know, you're, you're going to start to see a, a pop in those yeah. cap rates for sure. All right. So leave our audience here, Anthony, today. What would you leave them with regarding to the Viewpoint 2018? Kind of a, a last tip for them. Sure. I'll, I'll tell everybody what my dad always said to me <laughs> as a kid. Don't panic until I say panic. <laughs> uh, everything looks, the all indications are good mm -hmm. uh, that we're going to have a, a pretty decent run in 2018. It's not going to be a breakout year if we hit 2.5% GDP. Uh, we think things will continue. There are going to be some adjustments uh, in the economy, certainly, that are going to favor some assets over the other. But don't panic. I think okay. you know, 2018 is going to be uh, you know, pretty solid. I'm glad I'm not panicking. Do not way. panic. Mr. Real Estate, thank you for coming thank on Thank you, Michael Paul. Always fun. Yeah, and Appreciate thank you it. for joining us out there. If you'd like more from uh, Anthony, visit IRR.com for Integra Realty Resources. And uh, comment on the show. Let us know what you think. We appreciate you sharing and connecting with us. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Asset and Occupancy Solutions, Arbor Crowd. Invest alongside real estate experts. Get Valuate Online Investment Analysis, Real Crowd Crowdfunding with the Professionals by Apto Brokerage Software to manage your contacts, properties, listings, and deals. CommercialAgentSuccess.com Better serve clients, earn more commissions. Build out marketing for your brokerage. For more information on these great companies, visit CREshow.com. And you're invited to subscribe to the show on YouTube and iTunes and connect with us on your favorite social media.